Hello, this is Bill Summers. Hi, this is Mike Clark. Hi, this is Ingrid Lucia. Yeah, you're right. This is Dr. John. I'm Mulgrew Miller. This is Idris Mohammed. This is Bobby Bush. Hi, this is Harry Shearer. You're joining me and so many other discerning listeners. You are listening to the WWOZ Interview Podcast. We at WWOZ pride ourselves in keeping you abreast of the latest things that are going on. And during Christmas time, there are some very, very special events. And over at Loyola University this weekend on Saturday and Sunday, there's going to be a special, special show. And uh, Jesse McBride, fabulous bassist par excellence, is in the studio. And, uh, excuse me, pianist, I'm skipping a groove on Christian McBride. <laughs> Sorry, Jesse. It's all G. Uh, it's all- uh, uh, Christian McBride um, is going to be playing over there along with some the most phenomenal group of musicians you could dream of. But first, I want you to tell me uh, tell us all about it, uh, Christian. Okay, um, ooh, Jesse. Jesse, it's all good. We're on the same page. No. We're going to be doing uh, the Ellington Nutcracker Suite. Um, I just put together a big band under uh, the direction of the Ellis Marcellus Center. Is doing amazing things down in the uh, Upper Ninth Ward. Uh, with with uh, after school programs, uh, music programs with children, and uh, hope to see a lot of them out there. I uh, hope to see a lot of New Orleans out there. It's going to be Saturday and Sunday. Saturday at 8 p.m. in Roussel Hall, and Sunday at 3 p.m. in Roussel Hall. Uh, I'm sure you can get uh, tickets online. I don't have the exact website in my brain, but uh, everybody's got that technology on their phone. So you know, you just type it in. You know, Ellis Marcellus. Nutcracker, Russell Hall, something like that, and it'll pop up. And it's it's called the Ellis Marcellus Center for Music Orchestra. Yes, sir, it is. And you're in it, and can you name some of the other people? Sure. I- I'm, I've been um, pleasantly su- uh, surprised to be asked to, you know, put together the band for this, and... Uh, We'll have, you know, featuring a lot of the city's great musicians, some locally from here, and some have been transplants, like myself. Um, the On the trumpets, I have six trumpets. Didn't need six, but <laughs> New Orleans has such a plethora of young and, and highly skilled trumpet players. I figured, you know, let's get as many, you know, cats involved, and it's kind of in the spirit of the Ellis Marcellus Center anyway. So we have um, Andrew Baham, uh, Kevin Lewis. All both of those cats went to NOCA uh, in the '90s. Um, John Michael Bradford, who is a NOCA junior now, uh, Jeremy Thomas, uh, Stephen Lands, cast from Baton Rouge, and uh, a Starworth, uh, Bobby Campo, uh, on the trombones have you know stellar trombone section and and uh, privileged to have these three cats. One young man. Still over at the New Orleans Center for the Creative Arts, Jeffrey Miller. Uh, we also have David Harris, who's from Baton Rouge, but you know is is a frequent in the city. Plays a lot. Plays with Delphio Marcellus a lot, and um, Stephen Walker, who is um, one of the greatest cats in the city right now, is a musician on any instrument. Um, saxophone section includes Rex Gregory, transplant from Houston like myself, Derek Dogay, straight down the street from Gonzalez. Uh, Kari Lee, uh, and Roderick Paulin of the great Paulin family. Um, Oliver Bonnie will be rounding out the saxophone section to uh, play the baritone sax. And 
On the base is Jason Weaver, a uh, local, Joseph Dyson Jr., another local young man who's uh, gone on to uh, graduate from Berkeley and plays with the great Donald Harrison and Dr. Lonnie and just all over now. He's playing with everybody. And um, that's the uh, aggregation that has been uh, tasked with trying to live up to the legacy of Duke. And cats have been putting in a lot of time. We've been working on the music. Tomorrow we'll be uh, working with the uh, ballet dancers and we're looking forward to the performances. Oh, you mean it's it's going to literally be what's what the Duke had in the great, mind? The great Lula Elsley is uh, choreographed and uh, also had, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, someone else uh, with her choreographing um, dances to the Ellington Nutcracker Suite. And can you, when the Ellington when Ellington did the arrangements of Tchaikovsky's Nutcracker Suite. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think he was worried? Where where was his head? What was he trying to do? It seemed to be, to me, as I listened to the incredible arrangements and orchestrations that Duke Ellington, you know, did, it seemed that he would take themes and kind of uh, place them with different horn sections or different instruments within, you know, the jazz big band setting. And, you know, he would in many cases, have one section um, speak a phrase, so to speak. And then the next section would, you know, either have a slight alteration rhythmically to it or maybe, as you will, a response to that, but based on, you know, the melodies that Tchaikovsky wrote. So it seemed to be, you know, just one of the most creative um Works. I mean, it's hard to say with Duke because all of his works are incredibly creative and beautiful. But this one in particular for me, um, it just displays all of his uh, musicality on, on, the, on the highest level. And we're privileged to, you know, be tasked with playing the music uh, in, you know, conjunction with the dance and the whole production. It's, it's going to be really great. It's wonderful that you're working with some kids, too. Oh, sure. It isn't all, I mean, there are teachers in there like Kari Allen yeah. Lee Kari's and yourself. one of the great I mean, educators in the city. Right, yeah. a lot of teachers in the group, but there's a lot of kids in the group. Well, that's the You've point. been taught by one of the best, too, Mr. Harold, haven't hey, you? you know, my mentors coming here were Harold Baptiste, Ellis Marcellus, the great Alvin Baptiste, the great Clyde Kerr Jr., those two last cast have passed on but you know that legacy and their music and the spirit of what they did and and how strong and instrumental their influence is and has been on all the youth here for the last 30 40 50 years is just uh, amazing and and if i can do anything to perpetuate you know these young people learning and understanding what you know this music is about and this city is about and what this culture is about i definitely want to do my part you're one of the premier piano players here in the city. I've caught you many times over at Snug and other places, too. You got any gigs coming up for, you, for yourself? Sure. We play um, The Next Generation has, has been a group that I've been uh, associated with since I pretty much got to town. It started by Harold Baptiste in the uh, mid-'90s. And we play every Wednesday over at uh, Julius Kimbrough's place, the prime example. And we've been doing that since October. It's been growing every week. Um, your colleagues uh, are, have come out and supported Sandra Bibb and Melissa Weber. They've been great, you know, supporters of us, uh, the next generation, and uh, the prime example, the club. You know, the prime example is is one of those places that you know I wish everyone in New Orleans to to go to because it's it's a club, and 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 
if you really want to go and have some good music and pat your foot, clap your hands, and have some incredible food, Prime Example is a place to go. You know, if you are interested, and especially if you're a visitor, if you're a visitor here in New Orleans and have enjoyed. First of all, of course, you've checked out Bourbon Street, and then you've also moved on over to, uh, from Bourbon Street, you've gone probably over to Frenchman Street. There are a lot of good clubs over on Frenchman Street, but let me suggest to you, uh, Julius's Club, the prime example, is one of the better clubs where you can hear some really straight-up, incredible jazz, and... uh, and you're there every Wednesday night. Yeah, every Wednesday. We start at 8. But yeah. what's really unique about this particular gig, when I approached Jewess, I asked him if he would allow me to do a jam session because that's what, you know, really allows the young people to come down and, and participate and just begin to get their feet wet a little bit in what we're, you know, trying to do. And, you know, it's all the lessons that have, you know, been presented to me from the great professor, Ellis Marcellus, Harold Baptiste, Clyde Kerr. And um, Alvin, those were those were the, the cats that, you know, if, if we weren't doing it right, they say you ain't doing it right. And and it's necessary because a lot of kids just come up there and they just don't know. So you can't get mad at them till they figure out that they don't know nothing. And then you have to, you know, say, oh, no, step this direction. Try this. And, you know, because me and Bayham and. You know, Kevin Lewis and all of us were directly benefited from those guys. Uh, we got to keep it going. We have to. Uh, you are listening to WWOZ, your jazz and heritage station. It's 12 minutes past the hour. I'm talking to uh, Jesse McBride, one of the uh, fine piano players here in the city, and he's talking about an upcoming event this Saturday and Sunday over at uh, Loyola University, Roussel Hall. On Saturday night, it's at 8 p.m., and it is, and then on Sunday, it's at uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, a matinee. It's the Ellis Marcellus Center for Music Orchestra. And I got a feeling Mr. Ellis is going to be there, and I'll tell you why. Because he just walked into the studio. <laughs> and if we could get the mic set up for Mr. Mr. Ellis, uh, welcome to WWOZ. It's an honor having you. One moment, one moment. Let me get this hooked up. There we go. Thank you. It's been a while since I've been here, and it is uh, indeed a pleasure to uh, to be able to do a show on a radio station that is sponsored by the Jazz and Heritage Festival. So uh, that means that, in, 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 which is different from quite a few other cases where radio stations are subjected to the bottom line. That's true. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, but at any rate, it's great to be able to come and talk about the Nutcracker Swing. What do you think Duke was doing with the Nutcracker? What was he attempting to accomplish by arranging uh, the Nutcracker Suite the way he did? Well, Duke Ellington dealt with so many diverse aspects. Uh, He was never one to care that much about his music being referred to as jazz to begin with. So 
I think that anything that appealed to his musical sensibilities and offered a challenge, uh, that's basically what he would do. He and uh, he and Strayhorn um, dealt in many different directions, but also because they were able to work, so to speak, because Duke had a very, very long career, which I think is uh, something that a lot of young people rarely ever put together. Uh, if you come up in a hit record uh, community or a hit record period, the concept of un- of understanding what a career is, is is like the difference between a sprint and a marathon. So consequently, the uh, so a friend of mine remarked about Duke Ellington that way. You know, he said, man, Duke never had a hit in his life, but his career lasted until he died. That's, so he had a 50-, 60-year career, and a lot of people... Uh, don't appreciate how hard that is, how good you got to be to be that way. Well, the most unfortunate thing about the whole aspect is that institutions don't really appreciate uh, jazz music, uh, for lack of a better term. And it's a peculiar kind of thing. I've been working on uh, some ideas and writing down some exercises because in the waning years of my teaching career, because I was in uh, education teaching for 34 years, I began to realize that what we call jazz music has never really been codified in a way which the academic institutions can ingest it. And everything that you find in uh, the academic institutions has been codified. You know, if you look at uh, European art music, to begin with, the improv, improvised aspect that was grist for the mill of the European composers. Uh, we don't know what that really sounded like because there was no recording. See, so, because originally that which we call jazz was a folk music. You see? But you were involved in creating two great institutions yourself, uh, the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts and the Jazz Studies Program out at UNO. In those institutions, did you beget a grasp of how to approach the subject of, for lack of better term, jazz might be approached? That was the beginning. Uh, I started teaching. Um, well, I really started teaching in 1963. I was 
band director like so many other of my contemporaries with the marching band and the halftime football show and the whole thing. Invariably, when the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts opened, uh, the founder, uh, Shirley Trusty Corey, got a grant in order to uh, get the New Orleans Center for Creative Arts going. And I came in, I think, one semester after they had opened, because they started on UNO's music campus. And the first question that I asked myself was, how did you learn to play this music? Because if you're going to teach somebody how to do it, then you have to understand how you got to wherever it is that you got to. (laughs) And there was no answer just coming, you know. You know, there was a lot of, uh, oh, what can I call it? There there was a, a a lot of experimentation, which was a, a part of, of a process that was amoebic. It didn't have a shape. It was just... And <clears throat> I also found out that there was uh, a difference between what is called tonal music and atonal music. Now, the musicians who involve themselves in playing jazz don't usually recognize that. You know, some will say out, which is not really a concrete term for anything. Or if they think that is a way that they can market it, they'll give it a name. You know, any you know they'll just go squeaking and squawking, and then they'll call it something. So they use whatever they call it to market it. But uh, for the most part, I did draw a considerable amount from the organization and the codification of the European art music, hmm. because uh, they've about a five hundred year history. And uh, when you begin to examine even a cursory examination of uh, three of the masters that's considered in the classical period, that is Haydn, Mozart, and Beethoven, you realize the extent to which those three and many others relied upon the gypsies for music which they would include in what they did. And the gypsies were like the jazz musicians of of their time. For those of you tuning in, we're talking to Mr. Ellis Marcellus uh, here at WWOZ. It's 521, 621 in the evening. Uh, you know I normally play a lot of music between the six in the 6 o'clock hour. But we got a special treat having this gentleman in our presence, along with Jesse McBride. They are going to be playing over at Loyola University, Roussel Hall, Saturday and Sunday, Saturday night at 8 p.m., Sunday at 3 o'clock. 
and it isn't going to be an ordinary concert, although these gentlemen and the Ellis Marcellus Center for Music Orchestra doesn't put together a common concert at any time, but this is really quite an unusual event. Where are you going, sweetheart? Um, this is Duke Ellington's arrangement of Tchaikovsky's The Nutcracker Suite. So fitting for the Christmas holidays, but also fitting for New Orleans. Mr. Ellis, um, when you were talking about atonal, I was my mind kind of jumped to a story you once said at Jazz Fest uh, about Ornette Coleman. And if uh, where you went out to the West Coast. Right. Could you, uh, was that part of the hunt that you were on? And if so, could you describe it to our audience? Because I just heard it in one of the tents at Jazz Fest. No, when I met on it, uh, in fact, the reason why I was even in California, uh, I had been playing with local musicians, Harold Baptiste, Eva Blackwell, uh, Peter Beatty, Richard Payne, and we would play whenever we could. You know, it was not really a jazz scene per se. And Arnett liked the way Edward Blackwell played, so Arnett sent Edward Blackwell a ticket to come to Los Angeles. And I had recently finished, uh, graduated from Dillard. And I wasn't really doing much of anything. So I'd say, you know, I think I'm going to go with Edmund <laughs> up to California. And uh, Harold Baptiste was over at my house one day. And Edward and I was telling Harold, say, look, uh, we're going up to Los Angeles. And... Uh, Harold said, no, man, if y'all go, we're not going to have nobody to play with. I said, oh, man, you guys, you find somebody, man, that can play. So then Harold says, well, if you guys are going, I'm going to go. <laughs> so we got in Harold's car and drove to Los Angeles. <laughs> no job, <laughs> no nothing, just drove to Los Angeles. And uh, that was when I first met uh, Arnett Coleman. Did you go to the studio, or how'd you how'd you find him? Well, Edward found him really because uh, he had sent for Edward to come uh-huh. to, to do some work with him. And uh, I found him like like that through uh, Edward, but. The more I would listen to him, the less I would understand what he was trying to do. But uh, I was not disposed to uh, making cursory comparison. In other words, I recognized immediately that, well, okay, Arnett is doing something. Uh, I don't know what he's doing. So the best thing for me to do is don't make no comments and listen and see what I could come up with. And we would play, and I never really knew what to play on, on 
piano. And, uh, but I was only out there for a short period of time. So I didn't get the benefit of long range performance went on that. But later on, actually he had come, Arnett had come to New Orleans to do jazz festival. And I had listened to his recordings, the ones that I had too. And I thought about it and I used to think about his phrasing. And I commented to him. I said, you know, when I listen to your, the way that you phrase, solo, I say they sound like nursery rhymes. You know, they sound like very short statements in the context of what you're doing. And he said, yeah, that's right. Huh. Very interesting. <laughs> but uh, for the most part, you know, that was the closest that I ever got All to really you- understanding uh, what he was doing. All of your sons, in one way or another, seem to be involved in education, or like essentially Ellington, up at uh, Jazz at Lincoln Center with Winton and Delfio's work uh, with uh, with uh, the camps, uh, the jazz camps, uh, and Branford's teaching. And it, it, I assume uh, Jason also probably yeah, does does teaching as well. Uh, where did this incredible teaching I, I ask musicians when they come here you know do, do you have musicians in your family where did this educational hunger and the hunt for knowledge where did that come from in the marcellus family i'm not a hundred percent sure to that i could nail it down i know uh jason actually started teaching at uno during the time i was still teaching that and I went to him and asked him, I said, man, why don't you come and teach, you know, the drummers? And at first he was reluctant. You know, he said, oh, man, I don't know. I haven't been playing. I said, look, whatever it is that you know is twice as much as they know. All right. And he agreed to do it. And uh, I can't pinpoint the year, but I was still teaching. This is before I retired. And. He continued after that to teach, and eventually I think he started teaching at Noka Riverfront because he had also attended uh, Noka, the, uh, not during the time I was teaching there. But uh, I think what happens is that if in the process of you learning music, you develop an appreciation in a lateral sense, you know, not necessarily the vertical sense of uh, learning all of the concerto literature. Not that anything is wrong with that, but there's only maybe three instruments for which they are prolific uh, concerti written for, you know, the piano, violin, uh, cello, but for the most part, there is a, a, a curiosity that develops. You know, I remember I did a a uh, kids video with Yo Yo Ma, 
and I was using a bass player uh, named Chris Thomas. And Yo-Yo Ma gave Chris a bass lesson in all of about two minutes. <laughs> and, you know, Chris talked about that as to how long that amount of time lasted him. But when you can get information from somebody at that level of performance as a yo-yo ma, you see, then it makes all the difference in the world. When Reginald Veal was studying at the New Orleans Center for Creative Art during the time I was there, his teacher was the associate principal in the New Orleans Philharmonic. So he learned the correctness of a lot of things. Now, he played electric bass in his father's gospel group, which you cannot teach. So if you manage to get the formal aspects of teaching and also bring to it a folkish element to that, you know, and it happens with, uh, it was another bass player that I met that grew up, I think, in North Carolina, was uh, playing a lot of that folk music, a lot like, I'm not sure if it was country music, per se, because, you know, today, you know, country music has been televised and scrubbed and cleaned, <laughs> you know. But uh, any any music or any folk type music can make a contribution to a musician and if the musician decides that they want to take those skills and learn to play jazz music you know Charlie Hayden was like that he had from Missouri I met his brother who was a bass player and he was telling me about the family you know Charlie Hayden used to sing and dance and they were from Missouri and they was playing all of that music Victor Goines, a student of yours and and very appreciative student of yours over the years, uh, and uh, and uh, Warm Daddy Anderson, West Warm Daddy Anderson, uh, both have commented that they they thought that to be prolific, you had to study not only the blues base of jazz and the groove of jazz or the 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 melody or the structure or the the swing of it, but you also had to be have the ability to improvise. As an educator, could you teach people how to improvise? And if so, what were there, does that mean everyone is capable of it? Well, everybody is capable of improvisation. But the first thing that I tell a student uh, is this. Uh, who taught you to talk? I mean, when you, uh, I, I don't know if this is the exact amount, but my understanding is that in order for you to get into first grade, you have to have a vocabulary of somewhere around 100 words. But you have to have some kind. And you have to have learned uh, language. And the language that you learn is in relationship 
to the culture out of which you come. It was always interesting to see some guys who had been in the military and had gone to uh, either Korea and Vietnam. They were uh, friends that I knew from Korea. And like the ones who were keen in terms of being able to hear it could speak the language. Now, don't give him a pen and say, right. <laughs> that becomes a whole different thing. You see? Um, can, uh, when working with the kids on the Nutcracker that's going to be coming up, and again, we're, we're, we've got a very special event on uh, this Sunday, Saturday and Sunday, is going to be a performance of the Nutcracker. Mr. Ellis Marcellus, who's here, will perform along with the Ellis Marcellus Center for Music Orchestra. Jesse McBride will be there. Oh, you're not going to perform? No, I'm not performing with the orchestra. You're not, but you will you be performing? Well, we have a quartet that's going to open the show. Okay. and You're and going then, to open. Right. This is a new. This is new. And and you'll and so at eight o'clock you'll go on. Right. For those of you who are out of town and visiting us from out of town, this is perhaps a once in a lifetime opportunity to see to see not only Mr. Ellis perform, but also the Ellis Marcellus Music Center Orchestra put on a fabulous suite. Well, it's called the Nutcracker Suite, but it's Nutcracker Swing when it goes through the hands of the Mr. Duke. Right. There was only one Duke Ellington. And if you want to hear something truly breathtaking, you are very fortunate to be in New Orleans on Saturday and Sunday. Again, Sunday's a matinee at 3 o'clock, and uh, we don't have a number where you could look it up. Okay. I know you've got to be on your way. Let me ask you one last question. Um, other than your performance over at Snug Harbor, which you do every Friday night, do you have any other plans other than this weekend? Uh, performance? Yes, plan? yeah. No, I just mainly I just perform at Snug Harbor. Yeah. Uh, I don't have the physical energies to perform. In an abundant manner, and I've been fortunate enough to keep an ensemble of people together, uh, like uh, Jason Stewart, the bass player, uh, Jason Marcellus, the drums, and Derek Dogate, saxophone, so that we can present ourselves and present the music at a pretty high level. <laughs> Pretty high level, ladies and gentlemen. I strong. That may go down as the understatement of the year two thousand and thirteen, as the year comes to an end. Uh, Je- what was that, Jesse? And the greatest ones have the most modesty. That's unbelievable. Thank you very much for coming by, Mr. Ellis. I appreciate it. Well, you're quite welcome. It's my pleasure, Jesse McBride. I got my lesson. Thank yeah, you, Professor. I was taking notes. Were you? I mean, I've been taking notes for 15 years. I've been here that long, and, and, you know, without him, without Professor Marcellus and Harold and Clyde and Alvin, 
you know, this city, this scene would be, you know, totally different. And we appreciate them all for their knowledge and wisdom. Thank you very much. You are listening to WWOZ 90.7 for the last uh, half hour, last 45, 30 minutes, 35 minutes. We've been talking to two off the hinge, as they would say, piano players, one of the, one generation, one of another generation. But just the longevity tells you how great the other one is. And that's you, Mr. Ellis. Thank you so much for stopping by the studio. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our WWOZ podcast, bringing the voices of New Orleans to the world.